This is a Strategist episode 976. My name is Zane Belgi. With me as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, I don't need this job, okay? The only reason I have this job is to keep the lunatics from trying to take over the podcast. I just need to let you know that. That's the only reason I have this. I don't need this. Are, are we the lunatics in this scenario? We are in the lunatics you, in this story. Yeah. Could be doing this podcast in the private sector, okay? I wouldn't have to do it on weekends. I wouldn't have to do it on evenings. Yeah. Are we the, in the public day. sector? You you are you're the barely the charitable sector, okay? <laughs> <laughs> barely. I don't have uh, a job. Guys, guys, like, beyond my parodying of Jason Kenny. Yeah. We've got big news. Stephen Carter, what's the big news? We, we we but because of you two lunatics, we had to get a new venue. So we've got a new venue. Uh so well, we maybe, moved maybe stop. we sold yeah, out. Kind of bi- we sold Jesus. We sold out. <laughs> we sold out a long time ago. We sold, we sold out, out when ago. we started the podcast, really. We sold out the Engineered Air Theater, 168 seats, gone, 22 hours. Boom, sold out. You two, you're not, you can't just be happy. Can't say a bird in the hand. Bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, not for you two. You two are like, no, let's go to the Martha Cohen. So we're going to the Martha Cohen. And you know what that means? Steven had to pay, put more money up. I'm the only one without a job. I, I had to put another $1,850 on this thing. I am into this for $2,500, and we haven't even sat down yet. And they're sitting on our ticket revenue. There's like thousands of dollars in ticket revenue. They are, Arts Commons has so much of our money right now. My money, not your money. <laughs> they got my money. You, bullshit. You, 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 you know, eventually when we move to a mail-in podcast, do you think they're going to refund us all that money? Do you think that's what's going to happen, Carter? You know who's not getting a refund? This guy. All the ticket holders are going to get money. All the ticket holders are going to get money when we change it back to a mail-in. Pro-rated refund or something like that, whatever we have to do. But I've already told people I'm committed to mailing it in for sure. For sure. Uh, here's here's what's happening if you can't wade through what Stephen Carter is saying. Uh 168 of you really like Arts Commons and giving them 975. I think that's yeah. what we know here. We've sold that out. We are now at a bigger venue. Is that right, Corey? The Martha Cohen Theater. That's right. Capacity it's like 350 or something like that. 350. So more people can show up. Get your tickets. You might be wondering, Zane, are we back to this again? Are you back to promoting the Strategist Live? No, I'm not promoting the Strategist Live. What I am promoting. Is the Strategist Present the Strategist Live brought to you by the Strategist? Because here's what's happening, folks. $34.75, immense value. Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan, we've talked about this. But tickets. Now, you might be wondering, Zane. Okay, so I'm I'm just going to let you know uh, right now I am not going to let you do this for another hour. Oh, you know, you just (laughs) – there's important information on the table. Okay, okay. You (laughs) put the information information. on the table and then we're going to move on. It's like a Zoom call in real life. (laughs) What is happening? (laughs) Here's the thing. As part of the larger venue, Corey, this is where you can actually make a contribution for fucking once on the show. As part of the larger venue, we have had to actually give away something to get something. What have we given away and what have we gotten in return? Well, I I prefer to think of it in the more positive light, what we managed to get. Um, Many of you are aware that we weren't able to secure the domain thestrategistlive.com. It was taken by um, what we'll call a hostile party and we had to settle for had to settle for a strategistlive.com. But we've managed to work through that. Uh, we've managed to work through it. Our lawyers, their lawyers, uh, a couple of meetings between principals here, that being, of course, uh, myself and the CEO of, uh, well, it doesn't matter which airline it was the CEO of, but we had the conversation. 
And uh, I'm happy to announce we have the domain thestrategistlive.com, which is where you go to buy tickets uh, to this event, to this extended event, to this expanded event. Now, unfortunately, and Zane was alluding to this, we did have to give something up. We had to give up the domain strategistlive.com. So don't go to strategistlive.com. You're going to want to make sure you go to thestrategistlive.com and not Megan the Stallion style. There's only one E. It's thestrategistlive.com, I guess. Yeah. And that's where you'll buy tickets. Uh, previously, you bought tickets at strategistlive.com, but that's no longer the case. Now you're going to want to go to thestrategistlive.com. And if you had gone to thestrategistlive.com when you first bought tickets and you now want more tickets, don't go to that. Just because your browser automatically wants you to go there, don't follow that. Don't be on autopilot. No, no, no. You are your own person because you're going to go to thestrategistlive.com. Is that right, Carter? Exactly. Thestrategistlive.com. I went to the wrong one today, and I just was stuck there forever. Didn't move at all. So... I, I, you want to make sure you're going to thestrategistlive.com, which it's makes me think we should get our own website at some point too. We, we probably, we probably should. Uh, yeah. It's probably going to be. Uh, you know, I'm just realizing now all of your bullshit conversation about the importance of websites. The other episode, we don't even have a website. That's true, Carter. What, what are we fuck? running for? We're not running for shit. Uh, just send us a Google Doc with your email address, people. Just like write it into a Google Doc and tweet it to us. That is where we are here on The Strategist. But yes, once again, summarizing, The Strategist live show, also known as The Strategist Present, The Strategist Live, brought to you by The Strategist, April 10th, Martha Cohen Theater. Yes, the Martha Cohen Theater. You can get your tickets at thestrategistlive.com. Corey, I'm not going to do it again unless I feel like it, and then I will. We're going to leave that there. We're going to move it on to our first segment. Our first segment, mail out, bail out, Stephen Carter, the UCP. What, how, what, what can change? So much can change. The UCP leadership vote, the deciding vote on Jason Kenney's future has now been changed. It's actually now turning from a live event as predicted as being a giant clusterfuck by the strategists here yeah. and by anyone with two brain cells knowing that 15,000 people could not vote in a six-hour period is now not an online event, in a sense. It's a mail-in event. You are mailing in your vote for leadership, and not just the individuals who signed up, not just the 15,000-ish that could have been 20,000 people that signed up for that live event in Red Deer, but all UCP members. Stephen Carter, when you saw this, I want to get your initial take. When you saw the rule change come down with the executive director of the UCP indicating how this was about a flourishing democratic movement, how this was fairer than ever before, how this was the best process that got everyone involved and part of the process, what did you think? I, You know, Cynthia Moore, who's the president of the, the UCP, um, her words echoed in my mind. And when she said... The only way we can ensure a fair process is to do it in person. Um, yeah, that's the only way they can ensure a fair process. The BC Liberals just had a mail-in ballot uh, for their process. And the stories that you hear in British Columbia about how that unfolded is just staggeringly dirty. So I suspect that we're going to see all kinds of foul play. But don't don't worry. They've added a uh, third party. Um, they've added a third party you know, accountant firm to make sure that everything worked, you know, is, is legal. So, you know, here's the thing. It's not going to be a good process. It's not going to be fair. 
And uh, there's so many ways to cheat in a mail-in process, uh, especially a rushed mail-in process. So I'm anticipating uh, tons of crazy things happening. Okay, so that's interesting. You're going after the process itself. See, I was thinking yeah. the new process might tilt in someone's favor. Corey, maybe react to yeah, what well, you heard from it, Carter it, in terms it, of the... It tilts in the in the favor of the person willing to cheat. Yeah, I don't know about that. So um, oh, a couple of things. On. Carter's Carter's comments about what the, the president of the UCP said about how in-person was the only way to ensure a, a fair process... Not, not true. There's lots of ways that you can have a fair process that's remote. There are many ways that you can vote remotely. It's really unfortunate that she decided back then to disparage the idea of remote voting because here they are having to do remote voting. At the time, it was uh, the view of Kenny Loyalists that having an in-person event where there was a higher barrier to participation was in their interest. And so that's why mm-hmm. they threw out arguments like that. But this is kind of – this is a thing. We've talked about it so many times. I'm going to talk about it again, which is – they paint themselves into corners. They make statements in the moment to win the moment, and they don't think about the long-term consequences. They don't think about, if I walk down this hallway, do I have a way out of it? And that's something you've always got to be thinking about, whether you're a political party or a government, anybody in the public eye who has to kind of go through the thrust and parry here. Now, the process itself, like the actual voting, will the will the actual mechanics of I mark X, X gets counted in some way, Will that process be, quote unquote, fair? Well, I'm sure it'll be run with integrity. It's not like they hired Arthur Anderson. But where fraud can come in, and this is true, uh, by the way, of a lot of things that accounting firms work with, whether it's the financials or whether it's a voting process like this, is anything upstream or downstream. So you they're only looking at a certain part of the process there, but things that the accounting firm, I'm quite sure, will not be looking at. Um, or, or if they are, it will be in a very limited sense. Are these real members? Did these members actually want to sign up? Did these members vote themselves or were their votes harvested? And uh, probably most importantly, of all, well, maybe not most importantly, but probably uh, almost as importantly, did one party know that these rules were going to change and act accordingly? Were, were they just acting in a way that would be useless in Red Deer if you were going to go in person, but provides a significant leg up if you know that it's going to be a remote vote? So these are questions that the firm is not going to be able to answer. So while I think that the actual mechanics of the vote will be run fairly cleanly, those are the other questions that are more interesting to me, the ones that are around it. But before anybody accuses me of jumping straight into conspiracy town, let's be clear The three of us all said for weeks it would be an absolute clusterfuck to run this vote in Red Deer. So something needed to change. Something absolutely needed to change. Did it need to change in this way? No. There were lots of other ways they could have run it. Uh, I think that is what's concerning people today, right? Why not have multiple voting stations? Why not have each constituency run it? Why is it an online vote? Or why is it a a mail-in vote? And the consequences of that, of course, are also we will not know the results for about a month beyond uh, what was originally planned. Carter, jump on that. It feels like you want to get in. If the, if the, you're confident that that in person voting is the way to ensure that that this is a sa- a secure vote and it is something that everybody can count on, um, then set it up for a in person vote. It's not hard. Uh, political parties have been doing it uh, well forever because it was only recently that we started to switch to mail in ballots or telephone balloting. So and recently, meaning like in the last 15 years, uh, before that, everything was run in person. So just simply set up. I mean, we talked at one point about, you know, the five major centers uh, 
plus Calgary and Edmonton. You know, that that's that's certainly a lot of work, but at the same time, it it could be managed. Uh you could live stream uh Jason Kenny's remarks. You could live stream uh the election preparedness pieces. And then you could allow every single member the opportunity to vote in person. And if you really wanted to go crazy, then certainly every every constituency association is up and running within the UCP. They don't have, you know, like oftentimes the the Alberta Liberal Party or the Alberta Party or even the Alberta NDP may not have all 87 ridings up and running. But the the UCP does. I'm sure that they could have run a simple process to ensure that everybody had the ability to vote in this in person. But they didn't choose that, which makes me think that they're choosing the 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 alternative for a reason. Um, and that reason is that I think that Jason Kenney, uh, to use his words, is trying to stop the inmates from taking over the asylum. So how does he stop that? He stops that by making the most advantageous process he can. And while Corey says, I'm not sure that there's a lot of cheating, it's not about the count. The count's not where the cheating happens. The cheating happens when you mail out the ballots, the ballots are picked up, the the, the codes are picked up by uh, by different people, and those ballots are filled in by people who aren't the person that they say they are, right? There's mass gathering of these ballots in, in, in multiple, multiple races. I've seen it many times, and it is something, you know, people have been sent to jail because of it. And I remind you that four years ago, there was a mail-in ballot process that resulted in the current leader of the UCP, the person who's advocating for this new process, being investigated by the RCMP for the last four years. Now, it does beg the question, why does it take four years? But here we are. So, you know, if there was malfeasance four years ago, what makes us think there's not going to be malfeasance now? Corey, what do you what do you make of, of the strategy question here that we have in front of us? And let me start with perhaps... Not Jason Kenny. Let me start with Brian Jean. His, you know, aggressive calls now with inside the UCP, claiming that Jason Kenny is doing just what Carter said, cheating, that he's bending the rules in his favor. Is Brian Jean just wise to your earlier commentary on this podcast and elsewhere to shut up and remove himself from the picture because his constant propositioning of himself as a replacement, even when he's talking about perhaps legitimate things like the rules, doesn't help the case? Or is Brian Jean on the right wavelength here in your mind from what you see in terms of trying to to call out the, the premier in this process from a strategy perspective? Um, no, I think he's wrong to make it about him. I said that at the end of last episode. I still believe that. One of the things that Jason Kenney would really have going for him is if people saw this as a vote between Jason Kenney and Brian Jean, both flawed individuals rather than Jason Kenney and um, you know this perfect candidate that may or may not exist out there who has all of the virtues you're looking for. So uh, Brian Jean... If he wants to be successful, he needs to think about this stepwise. Step one is to vacate the office of leader. Step two is to run for leader. It's not to do the both of them concurrently. That's not that's not an optimal strategy. That's not to say it won't work, but it's not an optimal strategy. Mm-hmm. One of the things, I, I mean, a lot of what Carter is saying is there's a lot of innuendo out there. Uh, there's suggestions. Could this vote be appropriate or not? Uh, I think last time, if I'm not mistaken, UCP wasn't mail in. It was mail out. Like they mailed out a, a code to vote and then they voted on on like computer, right? I could be wrong about that. I'm sure someone will correct me if I am. There were, of course, like multiple leadership contests in there with the PC leadership and then the UCP leadership. But, you know, 
again, these processes, it's not the mechanics of the actual thing. And I don't think Stephen and I are disagreeing on this point. It's, it's a lot of the things around it, right? Mm-hmm. Who's on those lists? How did they get on those lists? Did they know they were on those lists? Did they vote themselves? Is this actually their vote? Did this, this actually a membership they paid for? All of these things that are, you know, not just party rules, but actually start to bleed into uh, election rules. And so, uh, with, with the innuendo that was out there in 2017, plus these rule changes, plus everything else, I guess the macro point, step back, because we don't know, we don't have perfect knowledge as to who's acting in a toward or untoward fashion out there. This is also fucking messy at this point. And it's hard yep. to imagine that regardless of the result, it's going to be viewed as legitimate by, you know, there's going to be good chunks of the party that rebel against it regardless of what happens. And um, and so it's really tough to see what the path forward is for either, well, you know, at least the clean path forward for either party. Okay, uh, Carter, let's talk about that, the mess that this creates, because this is not just a mess that is contained between now and April 9th anymore. This is a mess that now extends well into May. From what we understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't have the dates right in front of me because, of course, I don't prepare for this podcast. <laughs> but I suspect, I suspect, from what I recall, May 11th is when individual members have to vote uh, by mail. And that was the 18th. But I, and May but 18th is when it's announced. Yeah, that's There's the like result. some sort of announcement event, whether it's in person, et cetera, we don't know just yet. So Carter, they're dragging... Their family drama, their internal affairs, their dirty laundry, which we thought was going to be contained to a two-week period from today-ish, right? Two and a half weeks from today, plus maybe a couple of days on the back end, which could lead to more craziness, of course. But now we're looking at, just look at this, let's map this out. Craziness between now and then. Gene won't stop. He won't take Corey's advice. No offense, Corey. Uh, You know, he's not going to take your advice. He's going to do it. And if not others... More demonstrations like we saw today with UCP MLA speaking out within the legislature on the footsteps of the legislature. They might grow in number. They might stay as small. But the family drama continues, and it continues until May 18th, Carter, at least, because we don't know what happens on the back end of that vote. We got. I bring up the two questions, right? Logistics, okay, let's say they've solved that. Legitimacy, Still very much on the table on the 18th. Zoom out for a second and, and map out for me what you think the train of Alberta politics dominated by this family drama will look like for the next, well, foreseeably two months here. Well, if I'm if I if I'm eternally optimistic and I'm with the UCP, I, I, I put it in and they say, listen, we're going to dominate the news for the next eight weeks. Right. We mm-hmm. are going to be the, the people to look at. Um, Unfortunately, when you're the people being looked at, it's oftentimes because your pants are at your ankles and your hair is on fire. And I think that that's where we are with the UCP is, you know, pants are at the ankles, hair's on fire, and they're running around, uh, you know, lighting the, their, their buddies on fire. I, I think it's a real problem for them. I think they're in the midst of really destroying themselves. And I actually think this is the, the throes of the division of the party into two halves. Um, this is not a natural coalition. They don't belong. And Carter, can I ask, when you say this, and I, and I don't want to stop you from where you're going and yeah. they don't belong together and they're glued together. But when you say this, do you just to be clear, do you mean the elongated timeline? Like, do you feel like that is what could do them in here? The fact that they're now going to have to do this dance in public, or at least they think they do for so long? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, well, keeping in mind that as long, you know, what you're describing, Zane, is you're describing a fight that was going to last until April the 9th, right? And now that fight, and then it was supposed to be cleanly dealt with, right? 75%. That was the hope. 75% percent six vote, months ago. Yeah, vote for Jason Kenney. And Jason's able to say, small number of people tried to get me out. I didn't get, you know, I'm holding this party together. We're moving forward. Look at the polls. You know, I'm doing great. That's supposed to be it. Now you're going to be fighting for another six weeks after that. And during that fighting, you move further and further apart. You see your differences. I mean, I got a telephone call today from Drew Barnes, you know, uh, one of those robocall things. Um, a single question poll lasted about a minute 20, asking me essentially, um, would I support him for the leadership? And if you look on Twitter, there's a number of people who've been getting this telephone call. Um, and I'm like, no, but... He didn't say which party he was seeking the leadership for, right? <laughs> like this is, this is the um, the beginning of the pro. You know what should be the end of the process, which is you know everybody coming together. Actually, feels like it's the beginning of the process of everybody sitting apart, and and we could maybe go back and draw it and say, well, the actual beginning is when you know those seventeen uh-huh. or eighteen let people sign the you know the COVID idiot signed the signed the 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 COVID letter. Or we could just say this is this is actually it today because that's what it feels like today between Jason Kenney's outburst about the lunatics in the asylum, as well as the change in the process. Uh, it feels like this is now a separation, the beginning of a separation. Corey, I'm going to get into strategy mode in a second. Ask you guys some strategy questions related to this elongated timeline. But give me your analysis, uh, Kinta Carter. Do you do you agree that this elongated timeline? kind of draws them even further apart or any other reactions or insights based on what you've heard Carter say thus far? Well, I don't think it'll help. I agree. This was going to be over one way or another, it seemed, on April 10th. And now we're going to be going through basically the entire sitting of the legislature here. And that's weird, right? You've got a weird dynamic in the legislature, and it's just going to get weirder. Today, you had a number of constituency presidents plus a number of MLAs stand on the front steps of the legislature and basically uh, condemn the rule change, right? UCP, MLA, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's maybe the third most interesting story today. And I think that I just want to sort of underline what, what a weird place we're in right now with the governing party. You had... Peter Guthrie, Jason Steffen, Angela Pitt, Dave Hansen, Richard Gottfried, five UCP sitting UCP caucus members stand up against these rule changes, plus Drew Barnes and Todd Lowen, who have been kicked out of the caucus. All told, that's seven people who were elected under the UCP banner <laughs> who were standing on the front steps of the legislature fighting against the executive that their leader controls. And that's the third most interesting story. Like, it's a weird, tense dynamic in that legislature, is my point. And to have to deal with that and to navigate that for another month? Holy fuck. I, I pity the, yeah. I truly pity these people. I, I worked for the Alberta government for many years. Stephen worked for about three minutes for the Alberta government. But I think we can both attest it's a small building, you know, in, in a literal sense and in a metaphorical sense. And just to have that kind of tension in your caucus and have to be dealing with it and to have to see the people in the hall and have to sit with them in the legislature under the dome. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I would I would just hate that as a work environment, frankly. And and it's not the kind of thing where I think it's going to get better over time. It's just going to sit there and fester and people are going to see. Then you're going to have stories that come out about somebody being sent a, a, a you know, a, a vote 
or an ID or a membership that they didn't ask for. And you're going to have stories about those things not showing up that you did ask for. And did it come out of my mailbox? And this is just going to be hit after hit after hit after hit. All the, all the while, you'll note of this list of seven that I mentioned, I didn't mention kind of, you know, instigator number one here. I didn't mention yep. our friend from Fort McMurray. You've got, you've got like a fifth of your caucus here in Open Rebellion. The Plus hell are you gonna folks do? like Leela here and others who've silently, yeah, uh, no, she I'm, hasn't I, been silent. Like, and you're just like add yeah, this. Mix. I'm basically like, counting them in that fifth. Yeah. You know, it's this is a this is a tense setup for sure, and it's not going to be helped with time and ambiguity. Carter, you know, uh, Corey said this is a third wildest story in the province. Uh, of course, you and I already spent some time today talking about how wild Alberta was. Yeah. Uh, Corey, sorry you missed out uh, yeah. while uh, Carter and I were doing national radio together. I'm sorry we had to bump your slot, Carter, for Bob Ray. Uh, I just had to chat with no. him for a while uh, instead, of, uh, instead of you. So I hope that was okay. Too. I was supposed As, to have like 15 I, minutes. I got seven minutes. You weren't. You, you weren't supposed to have to. No, but I, I'm really sorry about that, Carter. Yeah. Uh, I hope you feel left out, Corey. You know who's not going to feel left out? Anyone who attends the Strategist Live. This is going to be. The show of the century, uh, April 10th, Martha Cohen Theater, thestrategistlive.com. Look at Corey's face. It's incredible. He loves uh, it when Carter, you promo it. Um, I, I do. I do love can it. Can I get Carter, you guys to each kick in some of the deposit, or is this just the no, way it's going to go? No. Oh, we gotta, Carter, we got to move on. Carter, we, Carter, Carter <laughs> yeah. we have to move on. Carter, <laughs> people can only handle this for so long. Carter, here's what I want to talk to you about. The UCP call you today. They say, Stephen Carter, we want to remain together as a party. We heard the podcast. We we agree. We can't take this elongated time horizon of dirty laundry. It just doesn't it doesn't work. We agree with your premise. The more we talk about ourselves, the further we draw ourselves apart. We're not supposed to belong together, but our political survival, our political upside, our our, our political viability ensures that we stick together. Stephen Carter, what are you advising us? You're hired on retainer. What are you advising us? How are you trying to spin this as a positive democratic movement, as we tried in our newsletter? How are you trying to spin this as the greatest show uh, in Alberta? Not drama, but this is a natural healing exercise of concern. How, tell us what we do. We've now taken what was supposed to be two and a half weeks, turned it into two months. Stephen Carter, what's the game plan? How do we not lose ourselves and lose Albertans simultaneously um, if, if, we, if, we, if we have to stick together? What are you doing? Well, basically, what I'm going to do is remind you that, you know, if you're, if you're an MLA, your primary responsibility is that in the House. Uh, in the same fashion that uh, staff would be asked not to work on leaderships during work hours, um, MLA should not be working on uh, on this process during work hours. We need to make sure that we are focused on um, the outcome, uh, for sure. I mean, but the outcome for, for Albertans. Uh, we have a very positive budget. We have uh, lots of legislation that needs to get pushed through. That should be our focus during the working hours. Outside of working hours, you can do what you want to do. You can be a part of whatever movement you want to be a part of. But during the working hours, let's get focused again on why people elected us, and that's to get the job done for Albertans. And if we can do that, you've taken already a big step forward because then at least you've got you know 12 hours every day where you don't have MLA shitting on the leader. Um, and that's ultimately what you're trying to do. Do what you need to do. Do what you want to do outside of this, but stop using the media. Um, this is now a closed process with members. Make the calls. Um, send your emails. Um, but don't do this during work hours and don't do it through the media. Corey, 
you're sitting in that room. You're waiting to pitch next, of course. UCP has this massive retainer that's available. They've come into some money, one may have heard, from some refunds. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> but, Corey, you, you hear Carter's pitch, and you're like, okay, yes and that for me. What are you suggesting that the UCP do for the next two months? Is there any way to polish a turd, or is this going to be a turd regardless? Carter says, listen, working hours, we focus on our political wins. Not bad advice, Carter. And then let people do what they need to outside of that. Don't use the media. It's a closed process. Corey, what are you adding to that? How are you keeping discipline? How are you keeping this thing together and not fraying even more if you believe that's at risk uh, akin to what Carter does? So uh, building on what Carter said, I would, I would say, first, let's agree what we agree on. We want to keep this party together and we want this party to beat the NDP, regardless of what occurs in this leadership review uh, and, and whatever spills out of this. So we've got to stay focused on those things. And that naturally leads into some of the points Carter was making about staying focused on work. The additional advice I have really depends. Are you, if you're the, the campaign around Jason Kenney, uh, and I'm not saying legal or illegal, I'm saying clean or dirty. Are you running this clean or are you running this dirty? Mm. Because if you are actually running it clean, there are a number of things that I would recommend. One of them is actually signal this will be a weird time. There are tens of thousands of members. There are going to be mistakes with memberships going to the wrong place, to the wrong name, ballots not showing up, all of those things. And when they happen, we're not asking you to keep quiet about it. We're asking you to route it through a party process. And that process, because you want everybody to feel confident in it, should be external. External oversight of such complaints, external uh, you know, authority to address those complaints, empowered by the board to do so, uh, with you know, oversight from constituency presidents, whatever we think would actually calm the waters there. Probably also looking at uh, you know, an accounting firm or something like that. And by the way, we didn't mention, but one of the reasons people always go to accounting firms is you know, they're a professional body and they're required to act with a certain code of ethics. And if they don't, then they lose their licenses. It's, uh, you know, it's not just because accountants are good at counting, uh, although that doesn't hurt either. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, what you need to do is embrace the messiness and have a very neutral, separate from the leader process for dealing with any messiness if you're running it clean. Mm. If you're running it dirty, same, but you don't offer the process. You just say, we know these stories are going to come up. You can't you can't work on them right now. But the reality is that's going to be deeply unsatisfying for people, and you've got to accept a certain amount of turmoil if that's your plan. Carter, I talked to Corey about the uh, Gene strategy. I talked to both of you about the party strategy. Carter, I want to get your thoughts on Gene before we jump into all things Kenny. How does Brian Gene ensure that there's someone that I shouldn't say is capable because many would argue about Brian Jean's communication skills overall, but someone who is a standard bearer for the rebels without making it himself. Who, what does he do here? Does he, does he ensure that it's one of those five or six that stood on the steps today? If he's got leadership ambitions, what are you telling him today saying, okay, like we saw you call out the premier. We get it. You're getting the, the media hits. You're getting the airtime. What are you telling Brian Jean today? And how are you telling him? to balance his future ambitions with ensuring he does what he needs to do today or that the movement that he's building or is a part of does what it needs to do today against Jason Kenney. Let me ask you a question, Zane. Why do you think he wasn't there today? Because I'm confused by that. Why wasn't he on the steps with the other seven? I was thinking about that too, especially in line with how public he has been as, on being the front lines. Part of me would like to be optimistic and say he's taking some of the strategic advice. 
And I'm not saying optimistic personally. I'm saying from like a strategy lens. Like it seems like he's saying some of the advice. Do, are you are you going there, that direction? Or are you genuinely asking? No, I'm genuinely asking because it seems to me that if we were giving him advice, you know, kind of in, in the opposite of what Corey's given him, you know, the the sit down and shut up because he doesn't want to be running against Kenny in this yeah. in this leadership review, because um, that doesn't appear to be what he's doing. He does not appear to be taking that advice. So why wasn't he there? Because the alternative is you know, uh, show up at every parade and and put yourself at the front. Um, it makes me wonder if the seven MLAs that were there, uh, explicitly told Brian, don't be there. And, and keeping in mind mm. that I got that lovely robo today from Drew Barnes, you know, Drew's obviously got his own leadership aspirations. So what's going on? What is the, what's the play from, uh, from Brian Jean, I I don't know, but I honestly don't think that Brian Jean's that great a politician. So I'm not sure that he's necessarily going to follow the strategy so much as do, frankly, what I think the NDP is doing, which is seeking headlines. Where's my headline? I've got to run to the headline. And every time you run to the headline, um, you know, you sell a little bit of your soul. So um, I think that's kind of what Brian Jean's been doing of late. Mm. Uh, and, and, I'm surprised he wasn't in this particular headline, but he maybe has his own, you know, maybe he's doing something special tomorrow for all we know. You'd, you'd suggest, Carter, that if you see less of Gene going forward, that it's strategic, perhaps. Is that fair to say from your, your perspective? Yeah, I mean, Corey's advice is really solid. You know, like, don't don't make this about you. Make this about Jason. Um, Jason's performance, I think, by almost any any metric is bad until you compare him to Brian Gene. Um, because Brian Jean is, a, is is not as good a politician as uh, as Kenny, period. I mean, that just is what it is. So what are we doing? Um, like if you're Gene, uh, you want Kenny to lose, um, but don't be the face of it. So maybe today was the first of a long series of steps of not being the face. Corey, I need to ask you about other MLAs in the UCP caucus. About four or five months ago, I don't even remember when, we did our uh, uh, session regarding you guys providing advice to the hospitality suites, to those who wanted to, you know, potentially be the next leader. I just want to go back to that and stress test it. If you're sitting side by side with Jason Kenney today in the UCP, is it still celebrating him, applauding him, doing whatever you can to keep the leader? Are you making any tweaks to your advice based on what you see? This is kind of going to be my segue into how fucked is Jason Kenny, which we should get to in a second. But let's start with the others. If I'm a, and I'm going to throw out names not knowing anything, but if I'm a Doug Schweitzer or others on that front bench uh, who might have ambitions again, am I doing anything different than your advice several months back of celebrate the leader? And, and, you know, don't make yourself part of the process right now. I think the answer is no, not really. You continue to be a team player. You continue to support the government's agenda. There are ways that you can back, not backhandedly, but celebrate the leader in ways that are truly celebrating yourself. Uh, do you support Jason Kenney? Yes, I do, because Jason Kenney's supported me and allowed me to do this great work I've done in my ministry. And look how kick-ass the outcomes are in jobs, right. economy, and innovation as a result of all of the good actions I've taken as minister. Me, 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 turn it on you. A, right. a good speaker, a good politician is going to be able to take whatever tee-up they give very quickly brush it aside in a way that's not going to cause trouble for the leader, hit the kind of mandatory checkbox exercise of being loyal, right. but not dwell on it, not become seen as somebody who is 
you know, three feet up Jason Kenny's ass, right? That's, um, that's something that they should be able to do. And if not, well, they're probably not going to have a good chance of being leader anyhow, right? Uh, but you know, there's, there's an angle beyond this here too, at this point. There's the, there's the fact that, uh, you, you don't want to be too, too close either. Uh, just as you don't want to be too far away because ultimately what's going to occur at the end of this very messy process, I suspect, uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure. And we should actually talk about some of the scenarios that, uh, could or could not, um, spill out of this in terms of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if Jason Kenny wins even by a bit or whatnot. But they say there's a leadership contest just for the sake of yep. conversation yep. here. There is going to be a huge amount of pressure in the party to not fall apart, right? There's going to be a desire to stay together. Massive. And there's going to be an understanding that going with Brian Jean or going with like a somebody who is personally so closely tied to Jason Kenny is almost going with the side and and risks a greater split of the party and they're going to look for somebody who can straddle both sides of that organization somebody who who speaks urban and speaks rural somebody who speaks PC and speaks wild rose whatever those divisions are they're going to be looking for a candidate to split right between the middle there so uh, you also don't want to be too associated with one side which I want to stress is not the same as being disloyal. You can be loyal and you can be neutral. Mm. It it sounds like it's a contradiction, but really it's not uh, because ultimately political parties all understand that there is a fundamental requirement to stick together. Carter, talk to me about the waiting in the wings strategy if you're an existing MLA. Expand on what Corey's mentioned here, right? And of course, there's some templated advice, which is what we're giving here. And there's strategic tailored advice for who you are. But add to what Corey said. If you're on the sidelines wanting to potentially be the next leader of this party or the next premier, uh, how are you playing the balancing act to to Corey's point? And and has it fundamentally changed from the advice you gave uh, several months before? Always return to the members. Always return to Albertans, right? Who are we serving? Uh, you can never go wrong by reminding people why you chose to run. I chose to run for Jason Kenney's conservative, United Conservative Party because I thought it was the best way to serve Albertans. I was so afraid of what the NDP was doing to our to our province that standing up with uh, Jason Kenney and the UCP, um, I thought that it was the best way to stop. Um, things that I didn't want to have happen in our province. Uh, that's why I ran. That's why I continue to be proud of the service that Jason Kenny and, and I am providing to the great Alberta, you know, to the great province of Alberta. Um, it's had bumps. It's been a nightmare. Um, but it's been a nightmare primarily because we've been hit with an external force. That external force is COVID. Uh, at the same time as we had a massive, massive downturn in our economy, our economy has turned the corner. And we've done that together. Uh, the UCP has made that happen for you. You know, oh, you know, but that's the type of stuff that you've got to say. You've got to be, you got to focus on why you're serving, what you're doing, and who you're serving, rather than simply leadership drama, leadership drama, leadership drama. Um, is Jason Kenny going to be the leader? That's beyond me. I don't make that choice. The choice is made by the good people of the UCP, and whatever they choose, I shall abide by. I don't know how I'm marking my ballot yet. I'm going to listen to everybody. I'm going to meet with everybody, and I'll make my decision as as you know as late as possible. Frankly, bottling it up and ready to serve. Nicely done, Carter. Corey, you want to jump in? 
Uh, yeah, so I, he threw me for a loop there at the end where it was the question about how are you going to mark your ballot. That's an interesting one, and I'm not quite sure what I would recommend a, a cabinet minister respond with at this particular moment. I certainly know what the expectation would be from the leader's office, and I yes, think that would, of course. that would somewhat inform my answer there. Uh, yeah, I'm just totally thrown for a loop by that. But I, I guess one of the things that I would recommend to anybody who's in that kind of position is you've got to be careful not to – not to be so obvious that you're skating or so obvious that you're sticking to a line. So the first time somebody says, do you support Jason Kenney? Give Stephen's answer, right? And they say, okay, that's wonderful. Do you support the leader of this? And then you just say, yes, he's the premier. End it, kill it, make it short, make it simple. Don't look like you're trying to dodge the question or you are going to get yourself all of a sudden caught up in ways uh, that you don't need to be caught up in. How are you voting on that? Wild, but I, I think I would have to say I'm voting to uh, to continue the good work that we've done as a cabinet over the past bit. And Jason Kenney has led this cabinet. Next question. You think that suffices, Carter? Suppose a microphone is put up in someone's face tomorrow. Suppose, uh, you know, that's asked of the entire cabinet. You think that suffices? How are you making it stronger? I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those gotcha questions that is nearly impossible to answer properly, right? Well, look, if I was pushed beyond that, I'd say yes. I'm yeah, what would you Jason say? Kenney. Yeah. You yeah, would. and then just not. Um, I mean, that's that's almost essentially what happened to Ralph Klein. Everybody yeah. that was asked on camera, oh yeah, Ralph, like there's very very Ralph. little downside in saying yes, despite you well, know so talking about how screwed he is. Here's the thing: like a reporter can throw a mic in your face and ask that, but like there is an art to being quoted, and there's an art to not being quoted. And there are ways that sort of demand context where that clip is not going to be particularly useful to them nine times out of 10. And even the print reporters are going to have a little bit of trouble knowing what to do with it, right? Uh, so how are you voting in that? Well, I'm voting yes, and walk away. Now, if you know the actual language of the question, that means yes, I support the leader. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, but like, it, it, I wouldn't even say voting yes, I would just say yes, and walk away. I guess my point is you can make it difficult to use and be weaponized against you down the road. You can even say, yes, I'm voting. (laughs) (laughs) Like you don't have to be super duper cleaner and just walk away. Hey, Carter, uh, question for you. Let's talk about Jason Kenney. We have to get into him now. So we're talking about... Have to get uh, into Jason Kenney. These double entendres have got to stop. I, I 41 minutes. I no, just got to no, stop. No, yeah. no, no, no. You know, but do you know what I would say yes to? The Strategist present The Strategist Live brought to you by The Strategist. You know, that is going to be one heck of a show. April 10th, thestrategistlive.com. That's where you get tickets. A healthy, charitable 975 going to Arts Commons from every yeah, ticket sale. We only Carter- get $25. This is bullshit. Now, we, you know how much money they're going to make off of us now? Like, it's a ton of cash. Tons well, you don't have cash. a number. Okay. Well, thank you, Carter. Carter, <laughs> we were. It's going to be 10 grand. They're making 10 grand. We're each making $3 a ticket. Carter, here's a question for you. We were talking about how if the vote continued in the existing process, we're going all the way back to in person Red Deer, 12 ish thousand people, right? If that if it continued in that process, 12 to 14,000, it looked like Kenny was done. Now, a mail in vote. All members elongated to to May 11th with a a conclusion and grand reveal on May 18th. Jason Kenny still is screwed, Carter? Is Jason Kenny still as screwed? Um, I have to answer, right? Like, I can't just say I don't know. Because obviously, there's two options. You have to answer. 
you have to answer or you have to do a uh, a 30 second promo for the strategist present the strategist live brought to you by the strategist so no jason kenny's not gonna win um <laughs> <laughs> thank I you. you did there yeah. do you support do you support jason kenny no <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm gonna vote on uh but <laughs> i'm gonna mark my ballot here's the thing here's the thing um if this was the most advantageous thing for Jason Kenny, Jason Kenny would have chosen this first, right? He's been in the field. He's been doing organizational structures. He's been trying to figure out how to get everybody there. He is now, he is now on the Hail Mary. And this might be even the third Hail Mary of the game, right? Every time he's just been penalized or there's been a penalty and he's had to move back 10 more yards and he's still trying the same Hail Mary. And he's trying to get the Hail Mary to actually connect. And this is it. This is his last one. Now he has tricks. And he has ways of making it go. So maybe he can win. But I don't think he can make this happen without some skullduggery. So I'm I'm dying to see how it all unfolds. Corey, is he just as screwed as he was last time we talked about the conditions in person, Red Deer, 12 to 15-ish thousand speculated? Or does this give him more light and more opportunity? Well, it has to. And the reason is the scope of rule change. Because the most obvious solution, and the one that would keep the most peace in the party, would be to change as few rules as possible. Now, they may have made a calculation that it was impossible to change them to any degree without getting backlash, so in for a penny, in for a pound. But either way, I mean, as we already talked about, this was not the only choice, or even the most obvious choice, because it is still an SGM, so it would have been very easy to say, we're going to have multiple voting locations. We're going to be at the convention centers in Calgary and Edmonton and the original mm-hmm. one in Red Deer. Or as Carter alluded to, that what we often in Alberta think of as the five major centers outside of the big cities, plus Calgary and Edmonton. Right? Like that, that, that was the most obvious solution because it essentially keeps the SGM framework, just spreads it out mm-hmm. to multiple locations. You've still got your results that day. You've still got a conclusion that weekend. That is the most obvious solution. So to go to a mail-in vote was to say, we're going to do something different than the most obvious solution. And there's not a lot of reason you would do that unless you were trying to find an advantage somewhere. Doesn't necessarily mean that advantage is in, um, you know, Jason Kenny getting the outcome. Could be you just think it's simpler to manage and all of that. But Occam's razor here. The, the reason why the leaders hand-selected executive would do this would probably be because it benefits uh, Jason Kenny. So to your question... Do I think Jason Kenney is as done as I did just mere days ago? The answer is no, because fundamentally the rules have changed. Does that mean I think he's going to win? I don't have a fucking clue, because to Carter's point, this might just be a Hail Mary. This might be he knew for sure he was going to lose that way, so he's going to try a different way. And, and that doesn't necessarily speak well, because to Carter's point, this was the option that was negated first off the gate, right? Like, no, that one's not going to work. And it does... And we've always known that the broader you cast the net, the more trouble he's in because he's not particularly popular even with his party. So is he going to win? No clue. Um, but uh, but certainly his odds, you have to assess as different today than they were five days ago. Carter, if you were advising Jason Kenney right now, let's just assume he wanted to play the clean route. Any principles you'd advise him of? Just high level, not knowing where his head is at or what he's wanting to do. But let's just say he's saying we're gonna the process will dictate the outcome. The fair process will dictate the outcome. What principles are you putting in front of him today? Uh, 
and you're working for Jason Kenny, right? Not not the the party. You're working for Jason Kenny. So think about his potential future. I want to talk about his future, right? Like his his future in mind, his legacy in mind, the script and the story, which is something you talk about quite often in mind. What are you advising him today? So if you believe, and uh, let's just make one other assumption, that this is slightly advantageous and might be a bit of a Hail Mary, you know that. What advice are you giving Jason Kenny today? Here's what I'm giving him. I'm giving him uh, the advice that he wants to go out with his head held high. The best way to win this and the best way to look when you lose this, if you lose this, is the exact same. Um, remind everybody why you did this. Let's go back four years to when you started to put the parties together. Because when you were putting these parties together, it wasn't for the self-aggrandizing nature of, you know, Jason Kenny becoming the premier. It was to rescue, you know, quote unquote, rescue a province from the grips of negative outcome from not having real political leadership. You make the case that you haven't seen real political leadership uh, since the days of Ralph Klein. So how are you going to, how are you going to, really show that in your final few days, especially knowing that the, 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 the leadership candidates that are coming after you don't have the ability to actually showcase or show how they would be different. Um, so I think that that's the opportunity is to get in there and say, this is, you know, show how high minded you are and how moral you are um, and get in there and, and actually create uh, an outcome uh, that is based on, you know, those original principles that you put in place uh, four years ago. Corey, what advice are you giving Kenny if you're in that situation? Well, um, it is the opposite of the advice I give Brian Jean in many ways, right? It's to, to paint yourself against the alternative, because one of the things mm. that comes up in basically every conversation I have with what I would call moderate conservatives in this province is there's a real fear of whatever comes after him. As much as people may be fed up or exhausted with Jason Kenney, like what comes next seems legitimately scary to a lot of people. And um, one of the things we haven't touched on was there was this piece of reporting today by okay, Elise Von Scheele, of course, because she breaks all of the major news yeah. in Alberta legislature at this point. He's rapidly becoming a legend um, where it was Jason Kenney speaking to caucus staff saying that he's trying to keep you open with this saying, right? Like the he doesn't need this job. He's asylum. trying to keep the lunatics. Exactly. Doesn't need this job trying to keep the lunatics from running the asylum. And one of the things you said, and I hope you don't mind that I'm just going to throw it out on the pod is you said, Oh, I wonder if that was intentional. Like I wonder oh, you if mean that in was our chat intentional. Group. Yeah. 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 Leak. Yeah. And I immediately discounted it, but I've been thinking about it a lot since because I, I don't believe it is. I think it's just too uncontrolled. And I, you know, I, I worked for Jason Kenney for a year. He is pretty candid in moments when he's talking to officials and I assume when he's talking to staff. So I, I don't have trouble imagining this being a normal conversation by Jason Kenney. Um, I, you know, but it's the kind of messaging that might work. And that's what's given me a pause. Like this messaging is actually quite constructive if you are trying to make a case that it's you or anarchy. Right. And you are just trying to keep this party from getting absolutely wrecked by extreme elements that would otherwise come in and take control of it here. So my advice to Jason Kenny, if he wants to uh, to maintain this, is that he's going to have to find the center in a way that he has never really found the center in, in the past. Right. He's been pushed into it in, in over covid often against the more right wing flanks of his party. 
He has always been more of a pragmatist uh, than his caucus when it comes to some of these issues, uh, which is not saying a lot. I just really want to underline that, but it's it's true. And um, and maybe if he, he if he creates this whole clash within the party argument where it's moderation and acceptability to Albertans versus convoys and lunatics running the asylum, maybe he's got a chance. Because if you look at the membership as a whole, it is probably more moderate than the people who are going to clog the highways to go to Red Deer and fight. I want to talk about that, Carter. Let's talk about the membership that didn't sign up to go to Red Deer, the now expanded pack of folks that hold a UCP membership that can now vote. They might be either less engaged or satisfied with Jason Kenney or not as motivated or mobilized, to Corey's point. If you're helping Kenny, what campaign is he running with those members? He probably has a decent understanding of who they are, who hasn't signed up. Are you actively now continuing on the micro-targeting, digital ass campaigns? Like, construct it for me right now, like two of you. What are you doing with the, uh, I would I shouldn't call them less engaged, but let's just call them the tier two members. They're not tier two in any other way other than that they didn't register to go boots on the ground and red deer. So maybe less engaged in that regard. What are you doing if you're Jason Kenny, knowing that, even if that's a 60-40 in your direction, that's better than perhaps what you were going to get with the folks that were going to show up in that tier one boots on the ground to Red Deer membership? Yeah, this is all direct contact now. How many telephone calls, how many emails, how many texts can you send over the next, uh, you know, even before they get the, their their ballots? You need to determine mm. very quickly what the likelihood is they're going to vote for you. And secondly, what is the likelihood that they're going to vote, period, right? So you need to be putting in a tremendous amount of effort uh, to find those people who are kind of supportive of you and kind of likely to vote. Because if someone's 100% likely to vote and supportive of you, yeah, I mean, you track them, but you don't really need to put much effort into them. But the people who are kind of likely to vote for you and kind of, you know, likely to vote, those people need phone calls. They need texts. They need help filling in their ballots. They need, you know, they need, you know, gatherings. They need uh, answers from the premier. They need uh, telephone calls from cabinet ministers. They need a whole full court press, direct contact. Corey Hogan, you matter to me. I need you to vote for me. I'm sorry you haven't heard from me for the last four years. But keep in mind that I was the one who put this party together that enabled us to, to achieve control and this is unfair that due to circumstances outside of my control, um, we're really going to we're going to blow this whole thing up. Corey, what are you thinking? What, what, what are you doing if you're Kenny right now from a political tactics and strategy perspective? He's back to organizing, buying himself more time to perhaps do that with the tier two membership. Yeah, well, it's uh, and this is what we were just talking about. It's setting that ballot question uh, for Jason Kenny. It is. It's me or anarchy or, or some variant of that, right? Mm -hmm. Or at least I believe that's the most successful one. And for Brian Jean, it's, um, it, it is that, you know, this is a referendum on Jason Kenny's failed leadership, um, or some version of that. And, um, we do know that Albertans broadly and even conservatives broadly don't think fondly of Jason Kenney's leadership. And actually, that's always sort of been the case. Even in 2017, 2018, 2019, it's not as though he had a, like really huge positive numbers. Ar arguably one of the reasons he ran Jeff Calloway as his kamikaze candidate in some ways. Yeah, that's right. Well, because the negatives were strong for him. And so he knew if he was going to sling negatives, it wouldn't really have the same effect, right? And so he was looking for a, an individual who could provide... Mm -hmm. um, Good point, sir. 
Yeah, well, absolutely. And so it really is about trying to frame it out for both parties. And I actually think Jason Kenney is is maybe, I, I won't say better at framing out that argument, but his argument is is at least more novel in the sense that people haven't sat and processed it in the same way and people have really thought about what they think about Jason Kenney. So there's maybe an opportunity for him there to sort of reframe the question in people's minds that improves every time Brian Jean talks, frankly. Yeah. So uh, he, what you want to be doing if you're Jason Kenney is setting the stakes as civilization itself. If you're wanting to be Brian Jean and the rebels, you're trying to make it seem like the friendliest rebellion you've ever fucking seen. Mm. And so uh, that's going to be the arm wrestling that occurs over the next bit as to uh, whether Jason Kenney can scare moderate voters and uh, similarly whether Brian Jean can soothe moderate voters. Carter, to that point, you know, one of the things regarding the Gene camp is that it's not the only rebel camp. That the rebel camps, as we've discussed previously, there's dozens of them. Is there a strategic advantage for Kenny there and perhaps a disadvantage? Or you might say the other way around. Is there an advantage for the rebel camps to be so disjointed? Or do they need to get under one dome, one comms plan, you know, pool resources, whatever resources means. I think in this case, generally capacity, right? Um and 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 start communicating in one drumbeat or is their disparate approach their renegade style approach that signed up so many members arguably when we were assuming for red deer will that not now work on the tier two membership who are now looking for mobilization and, and not necessarily perhaps raw anger uh and and perhaps hatred uh, of jason kenny so tell me about their strategy and their splintering so to speak because we're now getting into this very strange almost writ period for the conservative race where you've got a splintered rebels group and a jason kenny looking to to mobilize two different streams of people some might say that the the group that signed up for red deer leans more towards the rebels group the group that sits on the sidelines that didn't sign up leans more towards kenny what is the rebel group groups plural thinking about doing right now well if, if actually a really good opportunity if if you're jason kenny to uh, divide and conquer um you know jason kenny has is probably the most popular of the leadership candidates right so i if i were jason kenny i'd say you know what you may not love me but imagine what happens to this party if Drew Barnes takes over. Imagine what happens. To, we've already seen what happens to this party with Brian Jean in charge. And that's called an NDP government. So we don't want an NDP oh, government. That's a good line. <laughs> yeah. We don't want an NDP government. Therefore, we don't want Brian Jean in charge. Drew Barnes is, you know, he doesn't get on with anybody. He's, he's, he, he's out there in his own place. And we don't want to go back to Doug Schweitzer. We don't want to go back to Tyler Shandra. We don't want to go back to, you know, that's Ed Stelmack and Allison Redford territory. We saw where they took us. They're just liberals under a different name. So you may not like us all, like me, but you can get in and uh, you can push hard um, to push away from, from these other people that may be able to draw large support groups. I think it's an opportunity to define people differently. Corey? Well, I don't think he's going to take a round out of Schweitzer and Chandra. Those are on his team. But I, are I they do on his agree. Team? Well, I do agree generally with you, though, Stephen. Yeah. That they're in cabinet, and that's enough. Yeah. Uh, that one of the things that uh, Jason Kenney has 
it is an interesting thing because this has played out in a lot of different fights in Canada over mm-hmm, the time. Like mm-hmm. there's there's the argument of having small cells, guerrilla warfare, many people yes. spontaneously coming to action, and there's real advantages to that. And argue what Carter would say growing to virality in some ways, even yeah, beyond well, their I, organizing capacity. I think we saw some of the advantages of that play out over the past couple of weeks here in terms of the leadership review and its original envisionment, right? Um, but there are also disadvantages to that, and there's ways that the the big battleship can kind of pick you off one by one, ping, 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 but also point to you and the behavior that you, when you've got 20 groups, one of them is guaranteed to be an asshole. And he can make that indicative of all the behavior. So if we talk about that original ballot question of me, me versus the collapse of civilization, I'm Jason Kenney in this scenario, right? There is going to be a lunatic fringe group. In fact, we've already seen some of them saying like, we're going to blockade the roads to Red Deer. That's what we're up against, people. Yeah. Right? That's what we're up against, people. And, and you're able to pick the most extreme behavior of this group and you can point to it and you can say that is representative of all opponents of me. And you can conflate and you can expand. Uh, and even if these people are actually a fringe of opponents to Jason Kenney, they become standard bearers for them. In many ways, it's sort of what Russia is doing in Ukraine, right? There's, uh, there's fascists who got 1.5% of the vote in the Ukrainian election, which is fewer people on the far right than have got the vote here in Canada. But you point to them and you can point to legitimate fascist acts and you expand it and you make the entire country about that and then you act in. And uh, look, I'm not saying Putin and Kenny are anywhere near in the same leagues here, but it's a, ta- a tested and true tactic to to just point to one of your opponents and say all of your opponents are like this. Carter, did you want to add anything to that? Before, I think that it's I just leave? really important that you can acknowledge that it's not just on one side either. The beauty of, of Jason Kenney is he's supposed to be bringing together these two groups. And the, the group to the far right of him is too far right. And the group to the far left of him is too far left. Uh, and I think that if Jason Kenney is not using the line, we know how, you know, what happens when you have Brian Cheen as leader of the right wing alternative. It's called an, a notly government. Like that's just a tremendous opportunity. But you know, he hasn't been doing the lines. He hasn't been doing that kind of work, right? He's, he's, I think he's been beaten up too hard. I think he's been beaten up so hard that he's forgotten how to fight. And that's, that's a really tough spot. Uh, Corey, you know, one thing we haven't talked about, let me close on this for this segment is, um, what do you do if you know that all of your past sins, their skeletons in your closet, everything perhaps will come out over the course of the next two months in some way, shape, or form. Like the motivation to leak, the motivation to poison the well, the motivation, at least from those who know you the closest and may have turned on you, is highest right now. And I'm not saying that the stories that we're seeing recently of Kenny are all because of UCP or rebel leaks, but there's probably some stuff that's going to happen. How do you prevent against that from like uh, communications and uh, strategy perspective? And I'm kind of broadening the scope here. When you know bad shit about you is going to come out or potentially could come out while you're still trying to win over uh, a group, uh, why are you kind of preparing for that? And what are you thinking about if you're if you're Kenny in this regard? Well, you don't try to stop it. It's just going to come. And one of the advantages you have is that whenever this stuff is coming out at this moment, everybody looks at it with a bit of a jaundiced eye because it all seems driven towards the moment. And so you you actually get a little bit of benefit, too, to be able to say, yeah, of course, of course, this is the conversation. And in some ways, it allows you, if you're Jason Kenney, to reinforce they will do anything no matter how bad it is for this party, no matter how bad it is for this province to get what they want. But what they want is not what you want. It's not what I want. It's not what this province mm-hmm. needs. And so 
just be ready for it. Um, I'm not saying that you just sit there and limply take the punches, but you know there's going to be punches, so brace yourself and, and be ready to, to kind of judo them back and say, well, of course. And, and again, this is t- tried, tested, and true as well. You remember when uh, the news uh, was uh, dropped about Jack Layton being at a massage parlor that was actually a brothel in some way, shape, or form, and then it just became an example of, it, like, it didn't hurt Jack Layton. It, it blew back oh. on the accusers because it seemed like a desperate tactic. So there are ways to kind of uh, judo it, as Stephen is so fond of saying. Um, hasn't said that as much lately. Maybe he's given it up. More into jujitsu. Oh, okay. Good. That's good to know. Hey, Carter, through, throughout the course of this conversation, talking about Kenny's strategy over the next couple of months, have you convinced yourself a bit more that his chances are higher than, than maybe a Hail Mary? Nah, he's screwed. <laughs> <laughs> well, well here's what segment. I would say. Here, okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Corey. Go ahead. You know, it, a week ago, it looked like Kenny was done. Now it looks like the party might be done. And so I'm not actually sure that's a better uh, Whoa. Ooh, Whoa. Chris Lee said he saves it. He saves it Whoa. for a throwaway at the end. Nicely done, Nicely Corey. Nicely done. Jeez. Yeah, Corey. It could be competing for episode. don't expect that kind of level from Corey. Could be competing for episode title, but we all know what it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, what is it? It's uh, going to be the Strategist Present, the Strategist Live, brought to you by the Strategist, uh, thestrategistlive.com. That's where you get tickets. That's true. That's true. Let's move it on to our next segment. Our next segment, Selling Out. Guys, we now have the details of the liberal NDP supply and confidence agreement. The parties have struck a deal to uh, pass particular pieces of legislation, supply and confidence pieces. Through Parliament between now and 2025, the parties have agreed to work together on key policy areas in situations where both parties want the same, quote, medium-term outcome while avoiding an early election call. According to the deal, the key policy areas include, you ready for this, Carter? I am so climate ready. Change, health, climate change, healthcare spending, reconciliation with indigenous peoples, economic growth, and efforts to make life more affordable, including housing. Carter, when we recorded last time, we recorded just as this story broke. We talked about the different dynamics that could be at play. Tons of ink has been spilt since then on who won, who lost, uh, how the liberals and Justin Trudeau is selling out his party to go now further, march to the left, how Jugmeet Singh is selling out his party by allowing liberal kleptomania and is doing this for his legacy on being the co-author of pharmacare and, and dental care. Are you revising your conclusion from what you heard when the story broke to what you're seeing now in, in details and seeing some of the analysis of what's coming out on the, either the winners, losers, or the dynamics of the deal and what it might mean broadly for, for Canadians? I, I don't think I'm really revising much of what I said. I think that the, the big problem with what I said earlier is that I was pretty focused on the lack of detail. And yeah. of course, we were, we were getting that information in kind of, you know, not kind of real time, right? So we didn't really, uh, know what was coming. Um, ha- having now seen it unfold, I, I, I kind of remain in the same spot. I'm not sure what, Justin Trudeau gave up what he sold uh, out. I, I feel like this is a pretty good deal for Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party. And, you know, if there has to be a winner and loser, I guess that means that the loser is, you know, Jagmeet Singh. But even then, you know, he could conceivably get a, you know, a pharmacare program out of this. Um, you know, the, if the job is to make life better for Canadians and, and I think collectively we think that that's the job, uh, then I feel like this deal moved 
moved people towards that outcome. I think that we have a a better potential outcome um, for Canadians as a result of this deal. Corey, I'm going to come to you in a second. But Carter, here's you know the Justin Trudeau argument that you're hearing a lot of. He sold out because he's marching even further to the left, getting in bed with the NDP, giving away the center position, uh, while Pierre Polyarev strikes even further to the right, creating a massive hole, even more so than he's done in the middle, and, you know, blowing through all fiscal guardrails, uh, because this is going to be a spend, spend, spend legacy. He wants to be the care prime minister, child care, pharma care, dental care. This is, this is just a bunch of money, and he's now all in good to the Pierre Polyarev argument, the first NDP prime minister this country's had. That's what the the argument of, of Trudeau selling out is. Do you agree with that? No, I don't. I, I think that that just is, is a simple, first of all, where's this not his agenda? Where's this not what he was talking about? I mean, half of these things, more than half of these things, I think almost all of these things were in his platform. This is not, you know, he moved to the left when he ran. He was this guy. He never presented uh, any sort of and and why is he losing? Um, uh, you know his former minister of finance, whose name has escaped me. Um, wh- why Morneau? Morneau. Yeah, Morneau leaves because Morneau says I want more fiscal uh, accountability, more fiscal responsibility. Trudeau's response appears to be interesting. That's not what I want. Off you go. So this isn't. This doesn't feel to me like it's out of step with what Trudeau wants. I think that, frankly, that's one of the criticisms that the conservatives have leveled towards him: is you're not being fiscally conservative. And his response is, "Yeah, I'm not," and he moves on. So I don't think that this is actually a criticism that sticks because Trudeau is not being that fiscally responsible prime minister. That is not the legacy that he's seeking to have. Koi, you had said uh, last episode when this had just come out that this could be a win-win-win. A win for Justin Trudeau and the Liberals, a win for Jagmeet Singh and the NDP, and maybe even a win for the Conservatives and Pierre Polyevra. Do you agree with that now seeing some of the details? Yeah, I do. Actually, I think it, it played out very much that way, in my opinion, the last couple of days. Uh, because, of course, the Conservatives will get to fundraise off this like crazy and they can shout and they don't have to worry about bringing a government down when they don't need uh, or have the ability to run an election. The NDP uh, get a number of concrete wins that they can point to. I mean, saying that they were the party of Medicare was getting a little stale 60 years out. So now we have mm. some some additional things that we can bring forward to say this is the benefit of a government that is liberal backed up by the NDP. Right? And fair enough. I mean, these are some pretty significant policy wins for the NDP, and it plays into what I, what I can sort of see forming as a strategy of of Jagmeet Singh saying, you know, elect liberals or elect new Democrats. Like the mix will govern the country, and you get to pick the mix. So it allows you mm. to say, like, it's better to have more new Democrats than fewer new Democrats. And if it's part of a two-step process to ultimately contest for government, makes perfect sense to me. And if you're Justin Trudeau, you really, really wanted that majority government. Did you really need it? I don't know. And you're paying a pretty big price for it right now. Um, because I actually think the price is bigger than the actual tag. Because Stephen's right, so much of this was actually in the platform. But, uh, uh, but you know, there's the optics that you get to enjoy because of now the conservative messaging there. But... Uh, but you wanted this, and you got it, and you got it, and it looks pretty solid. Now, um, we said the devil was in the details, and the details are pretty interesting to me because you listed all of the categories that this has I did. commitments. I had to get into the depths of it. Yeah, yeah, and that's okay. Long fucking list. 
is my crazy point. list. Really crazy long list. list. And so the thing that struck me about that was twofold. One is ambition slash boy was Justin Trudeau that desperate to get a deal that he would itemize all those things. And two is that's a lot of fail points. Like people are talking about this as taking us to 2025. Like it's a given thing. There are so let's put it this way. Imagine all of the things that were not in the liberal platform were stripped out. What would your confidence level be? They'd be able to hit that timeline. Steven, you've worked in government. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean like it's going to be really hard. It doesn't but, work Corey, that are, way. Are they fail points? Because they don't. One thing they don't include is timelines and numbers. Well, they do. In so some, are they? Are, well, in, in some at cases, least one case. Yeah. Sure. Sure. But like broad numbers mapped out, budget. It's a, they don't include those. They include sometimes vagaries like progress and starting and up to here in certain cases. Carter, but is that's, that a, but is, Zane? That's the point. That is in the right. eye of the beholder. And if you have a number of people saying, "Well, this is not progress." And, and it's so broad and it's so non-concrete and, but like there is this general commitment to it. There's going to be a lot of people saying you didn't actually do this. And, so, and there's going to be every opportunity in the world for the NDP to say in two years, no, there's not progress here. We're out. We're pulling the plug. If, if Justin Trudeau becomes more unpopular or if there's a leadership change or if the polls shift and all of a sudden Singh looks like he could be prime minister there, it's not as concrete of a deal because it is so ambitious of a deal. See, you know what I'm thinking, Carter? I, I think part of me feels like the glue here is less about what gets done, but the two men who've signed it, co-authored it, um, and their personal legacies. I feel like Jagmeet Singh is a guy who knows he's never going to become prime minister, and the best he can do is co-author pharmacare and dental care. And for Justin Trudeau, this buys him the runway to land the plane on all the legacy projects that he wants to be known for over the course of a potential decade. So, Carter, do you do you see that as fail points on objective grounds, the policy measures they need to collectively hit? Or do you feel like the glue could be both men have effectively now co-signed a plan to chart their own political futures and legacies? Jagmeet Singh is no more a failure than any NDP leader that's come before him. In fact, the, the biggest successes are when the NDP comes up with the policy compromise as they have right now. I mean, this is... This is arguably the biggest deal that the NDP have ever come up with. Um, and if it, if 50% of it comes true, um, they'll, you know, Jagmeet Singh's going to be able to point to a legacy of NDP action that has made lives better for Canadians in his mind. Um, Don't, that's do you think a there's a pathway deal. that that ruins the party though? There's a lot of arguments now that there's a pathway that, you know, if these ideas work, he's wiped off the map and the liberals get complete credit. That, that the NDP could, I don't want to go as far as cease to exist, but they could fundamentally lose out on a lot of their ground and perhaps be in a position where they don't exist like they used to or even in the current form. Both of you are, are, are saying no. Go ahead, but, Carter, and I'll go to you, But Corey. fantastic. I don't give a shit. That's not why I'm in politics. I'm not in politics to you know propagate. Yeah, the, but you're the not the, the you're not the leader. You're not the leader of the NDP. But he shouldn't the be thing. there. He shouldn't be there. He shouldn't what be there mean? to what make sure that the NDP goes forward. He should be there to make sure that he's serving Canadians to the best of his ability and actually getting the things that he stands for, that he believes in. And he's at, like and something he's naive. Asking. I would say that's no, like something that naive. Bullshit. This is, we, that I would this is what we believe in, and we believe that I the best way that. to achieve these things. We believe that the best way to achieve these things is through pulling together a collective of people who agree with us. And sometimes that takes the shape of a party, and sometimes that takes a, su- a supply agreement. He's getting what he wants. He's Carter, getting what I, he I, needs. 
How we don't, dare yeah. you, sir? I've put $2,500 into the live show, <laughs> and you choose to argue with me? Carter, Carter, saying, saying we want to take ourselves or put ourselves out of work is not what you do as a political party. They're not going it's out of work. It's what you do if you're They're more relevant today than ever. Great. It's maybe their ideas are more relevant today, one would argue, but the liberal kleptomania on those ideas is perhaps furthered by this agreement. I mean, that's the argument. Corey, you want to jump in here, uh, either to course correct Carter's naivete or to promote uh, the live show that we're doing, tickets available at thestrategistlive.com. Well, I think it's it's idealistic of Stephen. I'm not, I, I don't disagree with, it's a fascinating question. Let me put it that way. If the liberals become the You're NDP, welcome. if the liberals become the NDP, is that a loss for the NDP? I'm not really sure it is. I think that there would be a lot of New Democrat style words. It's a loss because- for the P in NDP. Yeah, no, well, sure, who but who cares? Okay, but like it's that's the all, ideas. That's, it's the ideas, yeah, like they, man. They, it, this isn't a relevant conversation because it's not. It's not what we're describing here is not going to happen. It's not a situation where the NDP are going to disappear because the Liberals have been such strong stalwarts there. If anything, I think that the risk may balance more on the Liberal side in two ways. The mm. first way is relative to the NDP. Because, as it was mentioned at the top, so much of this was in the Liberal platform, but the way it's being read right now is as though the NDP are what pulled all of those things out of the Liberals. So I think that the risk may be more along the lines of the NDP get credit for things the Liberals were going to do anyways. And that is not something that's going to necessarily help Justin Trudeau very much. And then there's the risk on the other side with the Conservatives. We've talked about this in different contexts. Um The Liberals have moved to the left, and they've managed to hold the center by and large because the Conservatives, I almost called them the Republicans, which was uh, very Freudian and very accurate, uh, they're moving to the right. And so when you consider sitting in the center, whether you're closer to the Liberals or the Conservatives, you still are remaining a little bit closer to the Liberals. But the more that you're perceived as moving left, the more opportunity there is there in the center. And one of two things will ultimately happen if peop- if both of these parties continue on these trajectories, right? One of them is going to switch course and say, this is nuts. There are way too many votes yep. there. Yep. I want them, right? Yep. Conservatives have an opportunity to do that right now. We'll see if they take that opportunity. I'm somewhat doubtful, although hope springs eternal. The other thing is they'll just go so far there'll be a pop and something will show up in the middle, uh, almost what the Saskatchewan party was in Saskatchewan originally, where four liberal MLAs and four conservative or PC MLAs joined to create this party, right? And over time, it may morph and it may supplant one of those parties for sure. But nature abhors a vacuum, politics abhors a vacuum more. And that is a pretty big vacuum to leave the core of where this country is totally undefended. I don't think we're there yet. I don't want to overstate it. I don't think the liberals have absolutely abandoned kind of the centrism. And actually, I don't think the conservatives have either. There's a number of pocketbook issues that resonate broadly. But that is the risk and that is the opportunity that is there. Carter, I don't know if I want to do this because it's going to open a can of worms. Here we uh, go. Can of worms. Because we still have to discuss the conservatives. We still have to do the over under the lightning round. Uh, Carter, here's the thing. Where does the campaign to take credit for the deal when does that begin when does that begin to Corey's point here if if jagmeet singh's whole premise here is the liberals were heading towards this and we were you know the goal line push that got them there and now we're going to get credit for that that is terrible analogy that proverbial touchdown right for being there when does that campaign for jagmeet singh start 
Like, wh- when does he start communicating that broadly? And what does it look like in your mind? Like, because it, it, it can't just be him standing there being like, I did this, I did this, I did this. Like, beyond that, what does it need to look like? You're seeing some elements of that today with Ed Broadband and others. But like, what else does it, does it need to, to look like for Jagmeet Singh? I think he needs to actually achieve something, right? The deal in and of itself is not the achievement. So you think you can't start you can't start celebrating the deal as as taking credit for the directionality. You can't do that, you don't think. Team drafts a stud quarterback, you know, they don't get to just hold their hands up and say, Well, we won the Super Bowl. Tom Brady comes out of retirement that doesn't give you the Super Bowl again. No, but you know, you know what, Carter? They sell a lot of fucking jerseys in both of those. They cases. sell a lot of jerseys, but they don't win That's the a really game. Really good point. So Corey, what's the equivalent of jerseys here at win the game? I, you know what? It, it's just polling support. It's enthusiasm for the party. It's believing that this is a movement that is going somewhere. I, you know, I think that there is an opportunity here for Singh, and it seems crazy to say, and I know it sounds grand and breathless, but he could be the most consequential NDP leader since Tommy Douglas at this point, if, if they actually pull this off. If well, we he's actually certainly get, making those comparisons, I mean, not so subtly in some of his press we conferences. dental care and pharmacare as a result of this deal— that's pretty bonkers. That's pretty cool. Uh, and, and we'll be talking about it for a long time. And by the way, nobody thinks of Tommy Douglas as a failure in the NDP. Yeah. And Tommy Douglas did not destroy the NDP. Getting concessions from the liberals has often been the sweet spot for the NDP. And um, I think that there is a real opportunity for them to lean into that version um, because – you know, it's funny. What happened ultimately was not that the NDP were supplanted by the liberals, is that the liberals went too far left and were blown out by the conservatives, right? Like mm-hmm. 84 followed some of this stuff in the 70s. So I, this goes back to, I think there's things that all of the parties can look at positively, look at with interest and see opportunity in. Carter, let's talk about the conservative reaction. What did you make of the rhetoric? Socialism, coalition government, uh, you talk about breathless. Uh, they were chomping at the bit. Pierre Polyev today brings out uh, first NDP prime minister. Any of these good lines? I know you're shaking your head. I, we don't agree I, with them ideologically. I, I get it. But any of these good lines and good takes from a political strategy and messaging perspective? Or or do they come a- across looking as, as desperate and weak? I'm curious to get your like practitioner's take on this. Well, let's assume that there is, in fact, a center in, all, in Canada, and that center is powerful. Let's just assume that just for right now. I think that Polling, public polling shows that there is a group of people who see them in the middle and themselves in the middle. And I think that, um, you know, the evidence shows in multiple forms that there is a group of people in the middle. For some reason, the Conservative Party is reluctant to grab it. And because they're reluctant to grab it, it has enabled the Liberals to move to the left to find very popular. Let's be clear. These are very popular programs uh, that they can bring forward. The child care program, for example, was huge. But because the the conservatives continue to focus solely on their base and seem so reluctant to expand their base, it has given the the liberals and the NDP room to maneuver. And if the if the conservatives were smart, and and that question remains open, they would have they would have moved to the center on this. They would have said, you know what, what this is the most expensive coalition ever. Right. This isn't. This has nothing. This this is a coalition your grandchildren are going to pay for. This mm. is a, this is a coalition that everybody will be talking about for centuries because that's how long everybody's going to be paying for it. Right. Um. This is a this is a coalition that is spending more your you know more money than anybody can think of. Calling them names, 
Who the fuck cares? Like, oh, you're a socialist, Zane. Zane, you're a socialist, right? Fuck off. I don't care. Call me whatever you want. I'm winning, right? Don't call them names. Win a, win a battle for once in our life. But all Pierre Polyev, all these guys know how to do is pick up the names that, that they see parroted on Fox News and throw them around and try and figure out how they can raise money off of them. That's what they're good at. They've lost the ability to be, to be a good opposition. Corey, uh, or as I call you in my Republican speak, cocky Corey. It's cocky, cocky Corey. Corey. Cocky Corey. Uh, silly Stephen. That's what you get. You get silly Stephen. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, I'll Corey, take that. what do you think? Coalition, uh, socialism, uh, what else? Uh, the first NDP prime minister. The rhetoric breathless over the top or you know could be experimenting with some solid lines here especially if i should add if you're pure poly everett always been talking about this cabal that's forming uh you know the 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 alt left and and taking canada in this direction that you you don't want to take it in well look it depends on if they actually believe this is going to resonate with the general public because if they're just playing to the base fucking fine okay but this otherwise is the exact same mistake that conservatives made in alberta in 2015 they just started they took as a given that it was a bad thing to have an ndp premier they would incredulously Mm. say and then we would have an ndp premier and then albertan said yeah that sounds fine what you have to keep in mind is when you look at the polling uh, people who are willing to vote liberal are generally also willing to vote New Democrat. And people who are yeah. willing to vote New Democrat are generally also willing to vote liberal. And the first NDP prime minister is not a scary notion to literally most of this country. Okay. So, so like to throw it out there as an attack in the general public is fucking dumb. It's fucking dumb and it misses the point. And you're so far in your own bullshit that you can't actually smell anything else. And there's a whole valley of roses beyond here. So, uh, Dumb if it's for the general public, but if you're playing to this base who actually wakes up every morning and and gets scared about the idea, did socialism creep over the border overnight? Then yeah, okay, maybe it's fine, maybe it's okay if this is the way you feel about life. But but also step fucking back, step fucking back and look at this. Like the conservatives are sitting here playing these petty bullshit wars with themselves, losing their heads over the stupidest shit, supporting insurrectionists. Meanwhile, the liberals, not even with the NDP support for most of it, have happily gone along and introduced the most significant price of carbon in the Western world, basically, at least in terms of where it's going here. Universal child care, universal dental care now on course, universal pharmacare now on course, legalized marijuana, and oh, by the way, blew the doors out and spending with COVID-19 on basically every fucking thing you could think about. This is by far the most consequential government of my lifetime. And they're sitting there talking about the scare tactics of socialism. Canadians have voted for and embraced this since 2015. Where the fuck are you guys? Find the center, because you are lost, my friends. You are lost. <laughs> Carter, let's talk about this. What does Mr. Sheree need to do in, in this leadership race as he sees this happen this week? Is there is there upside here for Jean Charest, the proverbial find the center candidate? Uh, is he more screwed or less screwed after this liberal NDP uh, supply and confidence agreement uh, this week? I think he's uh, absolutely less screwed. I think that if he's smart, he is in a position to actually remind people what it means to have a progressive conservative government. Uh, because, you know, it doesn't look like Skippy's going to get them there. So remind people that what's at stake. Uh, what is at stake is governing and governing matters. Why has this deal even been constructed? This deal has been constructed because government 
And being the governing party means you get to do things. You get to spend money. You get to achieve certain goals that you may set for yourselves um, that you don't get to achieve um, by calling everybody a socialist. Uh, this is... This is where John Charest should be making the, the very strong case that winning matters and the, um, uh, the Conservative Party of Canada needs to really step up their game and actually become uh, the governing party again. Uh, they're not the naturally governing party. It takes effort. It takes focus for them to become the party that actually wins. So start providing that effort and start providing that focus. That's what you need to do. And and this childishness of just simply running around and, and screaming socialism, scary, ooh, scary stuff. It's it's not winning you a damn thing. Not a damn thing. Coy, anything to add to Sheree in particular in regards to your Find the Center commentary? Well, I, I don't know if the Conservatives are mentally there, but if I were going to just dispassionately provide advice to them, it would be absolutely that. Like, what? Why would you consider going further right? You've got to find the middle. And maybe if Sheree's not your cup of tea, maybe a version of Patrick Brown. Maybe door number eight is the right door, right? It's but, always the right door. Always the right but door, But yeah. the point being here, you even if you end up accidentally it's falling into government under Pierre Polyev, which is totally possible. And I don't want anybody to think I'm saying he could never be prime minister. Governments just hit a shelf life and people look for options there. That is going to be so the exception, not the rule. Uh, and there's only so much damage you can do in four years before you are turf the fuck out again for the next 20, which is what's going to happen if you govern in that way, so far off of where Canadians want to be and are. And so uh, see it as an opportunity See it as an opportunity that the center has been left relatively empty. This is this could be a chance for a 1984 style blowout where the where the people who truly believe in left wing values stick with the NDP hmm. and more moderate Canadians all rush to the conservatives. It is not impossible to me that you are effectively going to see the liberals under Trudeau, the the younger, follow a similar path to what happened under Trudeau, the elder. Not impossible. We're going to leave that segment there, move it on to our final segment, our over, under, and our lightning round. Stephen Carter, the only reason we keep doing this segment, it's you. You're the reason. Are we going to talk uh, about the AFL? Because I had a terrible night last night. The Blues actually won. It was unbelievable. Oh, no one expected it. It's really unfortunate. You know, but they they won. Do you know who else has won? Uh, according to Corey, everybody. Everybody won yeah. based on this, this recent supply and confidence deal. But Stephen Carter, amongst a list of winners, who was the most winningest? For you, who won the most? Who was winning the most as part of this agreement between the NDP and the Liberals? I think the Liberals. The Liberals have got consistency and they're achieving their 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 stated platform um, much cleaner. Corey, is it the Liberals that won the most amongst the parade of winners? I, I think that is TBD. The people who have the most opportunity, I believe, are actually the Conservatives here. But hmm. who I suspect will ultimately have won the most is the NDP. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and consistent with what you've been saying throughout the show. Corey, sticking with you on this, give give me a letter grade on Brian Jean this week. Uh, you know, not necessarily out in front today, definitely uh, quite animated, uh, aggressive, assertive when the new rules came out a couple of days ago, seems like weeks ago. Give me a letter grade on Brian Jean this week. I'm going to give him a C. 
Um, I don't think that he's necessarily done himself so much damage that he can't advance to the next course here, but uh, not an impressive performance. Certainly, he's not going to be making the Dean's list with this kind of activity. Carter, he's not making the Dean's list. Is he making the Jean's list? What is he getting? What is Brian Jean? Thank you. These are the terrible. jokes that you get. That's You're welcome. fantastic. Awful. I love you it. know what's not going to be fucking awful uh, is the uh, strategistlive.com. Now, that is where you get tickets for our live show April 10th, Martha Cohen t- Theater. Right, Carter? Yeah, I'm going to be there. <laughs> well, you better be there. Uh, how much money do you have on the line? $2,500 plus all the ticket sales from the 168 tickets that we've already sold. It's in someone else's bank account, not in our bank account. I just had to throw like $1,850 just boom down on the table. I'm the unemployed one. What the fuck? Also, 20% of all CDs and DVDs. Let's not forget that. Yeah. That is that is, that is going to be a killer. Carter, Brian Jean, letter grade. This week, what's he getting? Uh, Brian Jean's getting a uh, D minus uh, because he's just he's just really bad. He's just not good. That's all I have. Carter, in less than a couple of weeks, we're expecting a federal budget. What are you looking for in that federal budget? You know, we've had two very different stories. One, telegraphing and softening the ground, saying this could be some restraint. This was a week or so ago. There's restraints here. We're going, you know, fiscal guardrails, et cetera. And then, boom, liberal NDP deal. Are you? What are you looking for in this budget? Because that seems like the first time in a while, at least the last two years, where we know it might not guarantee to be spend, spend, spend. Very much could be that. It also could be another track. What are you looking for in terms of the budget coming up in less than a couple of weeks? I'm going to be watching the revenue lines. I'm going to be watching to see what the revenue lines are looking like. I mean, obviously, in here in Alberta, we're seeing a massive increase in our revenue lines uh, just because of the, the royalties. Um, I'm expecting to see strong, royal, uh, strong revenue increases over last year, um, recru- reducing the deficit, which they're going – I think the Liberals and NDP will use as an excuse to start spending. Corey? Budget, less than a couple of weeks coming uh, federally. What are you looking for in it? Well, I'm looking to see if there's a path, not back to balance, but to, to see there's been signals from Freeland that this is getting back to the fundamentals of the economy. And I want to see if there's any evidence of that, because it'll tell us a lot about whether they uh, are actually even remotely concerned or intending to fight uh, for that more economic liberal that was previously there, or if they think the conservatives are so out there right now that there's not really that need and they can focus on these major programs. You know, Corey, one thing about development properties is that with a fresh coat of paint, some new infrastructure, some new amenities, they can often be rebranded and put back on the market. So Corey Hogan, on where O'Toole Island once stood, are you buying a luxury, especially considering the cost of living today. I mean, I don't need to tell you. Cost of living across <laughs> this country is high. Are you buying in a 10 to 1 situation a piece of property on Kenny Island, given what we've seen this week? Are you purchasing on Jason Kenny Island the 10 to 1, 10 to 1 payout with your, with your property on Kenny Island today? Yeah, Absolutely. You know, one of the things where I have to have a certain amount of humility is that on Monday, I was thinking, oh boy, he fucked, right? And then they did a move and the move was wild. And I'm not sure the move in the long term is is going to pan out. And I think this is kind of a longer term criticism I have of short term thinking there, but it was a move. When you think the guy's cornered, he's not cornered. He finds a different way to play it every single time. And I, I don't, I think he's got a better than 10% chance of pulling this all off, being premier. Here, let me paint a scenario for you. 
pulls off this leadership review, ends up with 55% of the vote. His party starts to freak out a bit. He immediately calls a snap election. He replaces half his bloody caucus with his own appointees. He basically dares people both to get their pants on in time and then run against him uh, and thus basically guarantee a notly government or get on board. And, and then maybe he wins because the polls right now are pretty split. It's not impossible to me that he pulls this off, cleans that shit up and moves on. The guy is savvy as hell. He's a, he is a master tactician. I, I fault his strategy. We ended up here in part because he doesn't see too many moves ahead, but uh, he's savvy as hell. Carter, 10 to 1 payout. Are you purchasing property right next to Corey Hogan on Kenny Island? Um, no. I don't think he's got a 1 in 10 <laughs> chance of winning. Uh, so I think he's got a 1 in 20 or 1 in 40 chance of winning. So uh, I'm going to play the numbers and I'm going to, uh, you know, this is what's made me uh, worth about one-tenth of what Corey's worth. So, <laughs> Well, it's that. It's that and putting out all putting the down Putting out $2,500, <laughs> I think, it needs to be speeded. The live show, April 10th. It's a Sunday. It's going to be a hoot. TheStrategistLive.com. Martha Cohen Theater here in Calgary, and we're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 976 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time. Bye.